This is the Byron Bledsoe podcast, senior pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Hey, two nights ago, I decided it was later in the evening. I needed to go downstairs and grab my iPad and look over my notes. And I decided to leave the lights off. It was late at night. So I'm going down the stairs and I somehow missed the last four or five steps. And you know that moment, if you've ever gone downstairs and all of a sudden you missed the steps, there's that millisecond moment in time where you think, oh no, oh no. That thought goes through your mind and there's nothing you can do. The thing I remember the most, the first thing is feeling that like, oh my goodness, and you're grabbing for air trying to stop yourself. And then I heard the loudest crack, my, my right ankle, and I thought my foot just broke off. My foot is going to be left on the stairs when I hit the ground. And somehow I hit the tile with this side of my head. And I'm laying there and I'm trying not, I'm trying not to make a lot of noise because people in the house are sleeping. I found out Nate, our, our oldest son, he comes running downstairs to help me up. He's turning on lights as he comes down. Angie, Angie never showed up. She never came down. And I found out she thought when she heard the noise, she thought Valkyrie, our Mastiff, had gotten a hold of a little chihuahua or a little dog or something. She said it sounded like a little chihuahua yelping. So apparently, as a grown man, when I hit the floor, the noise I make sounds like a little chihuahua. But I wasn't mad at it at all because I get it. We've been together so long, and things come up and things happen. This morning, we're talking about marriage. And one of the most common statements... That I hear about marriages that didn't make it, marriages that ended in divorce. The common statement I've heard, the common statement you've heard is this, we just grew apart. Now in life we know that we're going to grow. Anything that doesn't grow is dead. But there's this idea of sometimes in marriage, there, in the ebb and flow of day-to-day life, the interests begin to turn apart. The, maybe sometimes the opinions or worldview begins to turn apart. We begin to have different dreams, we begin to think about different things for the future, and over time, it can happen with any couple, we can turn apart, we can grow apart. So the question is, if we want to grow old together, how do we grow together? If we want to have that that dream of a marriage, that, that happy ending, how do we pursue that? I think one of the things we have to remember is every happy ending had a hard middle. So what do we do? What do we build into our lives? Because early in the relationship, when you're dating or when you're first married, it's all romance. And I I don't mean romance, just the nice dinner, the trip you plan. I'm talking about even simple romance. I'm talking about the, the, the heart beating for the other person. I remember when Angie and I were dating, we were in high school, and I remember late nights, we would just be on the phone, and we're out of stuff to say. Nobody's talking. And we're okay with it. It's just being on the phone together. Hey, what are you thinking about? It's just, it's just being as connected as we possibly can. And then you move into the, the work of day-to-day life and the busyness of life. And some days go well and other days don't go well. But there are a lot of days that are the nothing in between. They're the days that go well and the days that don't go well, but, but a majority of the days are spent in the nothing in between. 
Because when it's not going well, when things are bad, the superhero can kick in. I'll take care of this. I- I've got you. Don't worry about this. I'm going to fix this. You have nothing to worry about. He, he said, what to you? She did what to you? I- I- I've got this. I'm going to have a conversation. See, nothing tends to bring people together. Nothing unifies people as much as when we're under attack. The bad days, superhero kicks in. The good days... We celebrate together. We cheer together. I remember as a little kid, my mom would always watch this game show called Family Feud. And everyone's cheering each other on and everybody's screaming together. And They may have some tough moments, but what you're seeing is the highlight of the moment when they're happy and they're all cheering for the same thing. The problem and the challenge in relationships and in marriage is not so much the lack of good days or the abundance of bad days. The problem's in the nasty normal. The biggest challenges we face are in the bland days of of mediocrity and nothingness. When we get used to each other and the new has worn off and we settle into the routines and habits and things that, that used to be cute and draw us to are now annoying and predictable. It's in those those bland days. I learned in my research as I was praying through and thinking and preparing for just sharing these thoughts with you for a few moments, I I learned that 86% of all divorces, 86% of all divorces are for non-severe reasons. 86% are, are not because of adultery or unfaithfulness. They're not because of abandonment. They're not because of abuse. For, for a vast majority of people whose marriages end, it's not the horrible days, it's the mundane. It's the slow ebb and flow of the mediocrity of growing apart. So how do we stop that? Because we know that none of us are perfect. You're not perfect, and whoever you're dating or whoever you're married to is not perfect. We're not married to perfect people. So we can fall into sort of a struggle, because I know I'm not perfect. I know my bride's not perfect. Ladies, you know your husband's not perfect. And so we kind of fall into this struggle of, well, nobody's perfect. And the struggle can be real, because in the struggle we suffer. The husband snores and the wife suffers. The wife's a backseat driver and the husband suffers. Now, ladies, I don't know if you know this or not, but did you know that that they have proven, it's a fact, I don't know if you're aware, backseat driving causes men to snore. (laughs) I'm kidding, not really, not really at all. But we deal with the day-to-day and we can fall into this struggle and often it's the common, it's the normal days where the hostility and the frustration can build. And sir, you know, when you walk through that door at the end of the day, you know where she'll be sitting. If she gets home first, you know the countenance that will be on her face. You, you, you can decide. You, you already know the words that she's going to say. She's going to pick up those unfinished arguments and put them right in your face when you walk through the door. And you don't even know if you want to go in that room. Or ma'am, you know. You know when you come in at the end of the day, you know what he's going to be thinking. You can read him better than he can read him. You, you know the snark that's going to be in his tone. You know the disrespect that's going to be in his attitude. You don't feel precious at all. You feel like he tolerates you. And you're tolerating each other. And for you, it's not even do I want to go in that room today. It's do I even want to go home today. The bad days, in some ways, can sometimes be better than the rhythm of what we've accepted, the struggle that we've fallen into. Because nothing brings people together like when we're attacked. People unify when we're under attack. And in a way, 
especially early in a marriage and as you begin to have a family, in a way you live under constant attack. The family's growing. There's the attack of busyness. There's the attack of the schedule. There's the attack of lack with time. There's the attack of lack with, with resources. There's the work pressure that's all around you. And you're trying to raise the kids. And it's almost like the husband and wife, you stand back to back and you're fighting the world together. You're trying to make it all happen. You're trying to raise this family. You're trying to achieve some level of the dreams you once talked about. The attack of trying to get these kids to this event and those kids to that event and birthdays and graduations, the celebrations often, but the preparation just about kills you. And then one day, one day there's nothing or not as much attacking. And you step away from each other. You've been back to back fighting in this relationship together for some common goals. But then when you're not under as much attack and the kids are grown and gone and life's a little bit seemingly simpler and a little bit slower pace and a little bit different, you step away and you turn and maybe for the first time in a long time you look at each other and you realize you don't really even know the other person other than how they are in battle because you've done battles well together. And then we read these words that the Holy Spirit inspires, but he uses the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Ephesus Words about marriage, words that are in some ways uncomfortable, words that are in some ways uh, awkward, words that will stretch us beyond what we would prefer. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Now, I don't know your story, but I grew up in church, and I, I heard a whole lot of verse 22 and very little of verse 21. Verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22 says, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. I heard a whole lot of wives submit to your husbands. And ladies, if you're hearing that, there's no cringe factor here because listen, before we even go there, verse 21 happens. So it's in the context of mutual submission that then God breaks down, hey, here's, here's what this can look like in practical terms. Wives, submit Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. And he's talking about, the Holy Spirit's using Paul to talk about the church, but he's using this picture of marriage. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. I remember a friend of mine who was from another state, and he would always joke about how his wife needed to submit to him. Have you ever been around those guys that you didn't want to be like? Sometimes people who demand respect haven't done anything to bring respect. Sometimes people want position without functioning in a way that makes it easy to trust them with a position. It's easier to submit to someone whose heart is to serve and save you in every way they can. See, I I still think I still think it is in the DNA. It's how women are wired because men and women are wired differently. I still think there's some women who want a man who says, I got this. I'll make the call. I'll take care of this. They said, what to you? I'll handle it. Not because she can't, but because he loves so deeply, he jumps into action because of his love for her. Because here's the reality, and ladies, you know this to be true. When you constantly have to save yourself, life grows weary. And then verse 25, husbands, love your wives. 
It's interesting to me in the scripture that wives are never told to love their husbands, but husbands are told to love their wives because husbands, when you love your bride, the natural response of a woman, how she's wired, she's going to love back. She's going to love back. The challenge for women is in those areas sometimes to submit to their husbands in areas where their husbands have an opinion about something because that's a challenge because in so many ways, ladies, you're emotionally more intelligent. You, you can see what's going on a lot better. You're more emotionally connected with a lot of different things at one time where guys tend to be somewhat singular. So your challenge is, okay, I, I don't want to be married to a wimp, so I need to make sure he's leading in some areas, so I need to let him lead this. But husbands, your challenge... Your challenge is you're told to love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I used to not understand exactly what that meant because I know a lot of people that don't really love themselves. But what it means is if a man likes himself... He'll treat her well. If a man is angry, if he's frustrated, if he feels like a failure, he will act that out on his bride simply because it's what he feels about himself. But the beauty in marriage is found in mutual submission. Men and women working together. Angie and I over the years I've come to discover the areas that that she is way ahead of me, the areas that she is the expert. And in those areas, I submit to her. She's come to discover the one or two things that I'm sort of good at. And so in those areas, she'll submit to me. And it is that mutual submission of figuring out how to work and sync together and understanding God has gifted each of us differently in very unique ways. And there are some things, there are some things, according to God, there are some things that women are going to be better at. And there's some things that men are going to be better at, and it's still okay to say that. It's still okay to recognize that. Rather than living in a numb reality where we pretend it's not the case, it's okay to recognize that. Each of us have different strengths, and we have different vulnerabilities. And we are the strongest in our relationships when there's mutual submission. Because mutual submission is a sign, it's a byproduct, it's a a symptom of authentic love. Sometimes when people think about C3, they say, man, I, I love C3. I love the friendliness and how welcoming people are. I love the vision of C3. I love what C3 does in the community. I, I love the music. Man, I just, I love C3. That's not true love or submission. You may love who we are and what we do, but if it's only because it's what you prefer, it's not true love. It's when the weather's bad. And you attend anyway. When you're tired and you serve anyway. When you hear something in a message that's founded in scripture, but it makes you uncomfortable. It takes you to that place of of tension where you have to evaluate, am I living consistent with what the scripture teaches? And you listen and you apply as best you can anyway. And often that's a process. Often that's not a light switch moment. It's a journey as you process what scripture is teaching and look at your life and think of how different it is. And you begin to move in a direction consistent with scripture, when those things are in place, that's submission. And love is not possible without submission to the one we say we love, mutual submission. So today, this week, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, if you want to grow together, if you want to have the the storybook ending and the, the relationship that is fulfilling and all that God intended it to be because marriage was God's idea, if you want that, I want to encourage you to make six decisions this week. 
that because you make them this week, you'll make them forever. Here's the first one. All of these are going to help you grow together. I will believe what God says over what I feel. I will believe what God says over what I feel. So often, marriages are damaged in the days of the mundane, the days of the in-between, because we let our feelings drive how we think and what we do. Did you know that 86% of divorces, as I mentioned earlier, happen because people get caught in the emotion of the moment? And the danger with that is in our emotion. What is temporary can seem permanent. See, our emotions are a gift to be experienced, not a guide to be lived by. Because emotions are fickle and they're unpredictable. And you never know how you're going to feel tomorrow. And some of the greatest ongoing pain in people's lives began with simply a choice to try to feel good. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, In your anger, an emotion, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Another word here for devil is the word slanderer. Because he has access to our emotions. And when you go to bed angry, when you go to bed angry, if I go to bed angry in our marriage with our spouses, when we go to bed angry, we're choosing to be counseled by our enemy. And you might wake up feeling like you've been enlightened, but in reality, you've been deceived. Because today's anger is rarely the problem. It's yesterday's anger that you bring into today that's the problem. It's the the anger and the issues from all of the yesterdays that build up over time when we don't resolve that before we go to sleep. That's the problem. It's It's not today's anger. And the enemy constantly tries to bring anger and fear into our lives. And he he rides on the rails. He rides into our lives on the rails of our emotions. Fear wants to give you the enemy's view of your future. And he comes and he snaps the picture of, of that moment and how you feel in that moment and how it's not as fun and thrilling as you thought it'd be and how they've kind of let you down in some areas and how they're not as perfect as you thought they were and how right now life just seems sort of boring and mundane and how, how Tuesdays seem like Thursdays, seem like Sundays and the routine is just overwhelming but at the same time not fulfilling at all and he snaps a picture in that moment and tries to get you to think this is how will always be, to frighten you and to cause you to make a fear-based decision. The problem is God does not bless and he's never blessed fear-based decisions. So when we spend so much time, not just in our marriages, but in our lives, when we spend so much time starving our souls of biblical truth, which is the only nourishment for the real you, while feeding and worshiping our emotions, we end up with painful lives, living painful lives. The greatest, most enjoyable life is the life that's lived based on the truth of Scripture, where God reveals, hey, here's how I created you. I love you so much. Think about it. If God loves us so much that he gave his son to die for us, and he lays out in Scripture, hey, here's sort of the guardrails to life, and and if you drive the vehicle of life on the road and stay in between the guardrails, you're going to have a blast. You're going to see how fast it goes. You're going to see how to take the curves. You're going to see the enjoyment of the ride. But if you go off-road in a vehicle that was meant to go fast between the guardrails, you're going to destroy the vehicle. I heard the story of a guy who lived in Oklahoma. He'd been there a couple of years, and he had a season of rough weather, and for about three weeks, there were a lot of tornadoes. And a friend from Canada called him and said, hey, man, y'all have been having a rough time down there. There there are no tornadoes in Canada. 
It's beautiful here. And he, he sent him some pictures of what it's like in Canada on his phone. And he said, man, you, you should come here. So the guy moved there in the summer and he loved it. He loved it until winter hit. And then there was snow like he'd never seen. There was ice like he'd never tried to drive on. And when he was dealing with all that, a friend from Southern California called him and said, man, I heard you're going through a rough time where you are right now, but we we don't have tornadoes over here and it's never cold. There's no snow. There's no ice. And he sent him some pictures of how beautiful it was where the mountains meet the ocean. And he said, man, you should move here. And the guy did. He moved to Southern California and he woke up one night and his house was violently shaking. And he was so scared because there was an earthquake. He woke up the next morning, the dishes smashed on the floor and things wrecked around the house. And in that moment, he had a friend from Hawaii that called him and said, hey, I heard you've been going through a really rough time, man. You need to come to Hawaii. You should come here. There's no tornadoes, no snow, no ice, no earthquakes. Send him some pictures of Hawaii. It's beautiful here. You need to move here. It's like paradise. And so the guy moved to Hawaii until he woke up one day and he turned on his television and he saw that there was a hurricane warning. And he wasn't familiar with that. First time he'd experienced that, he didn't pay a lot of attention before. And so he asked a friend, hey, what exactly is a hurricane? And the friend said, well, it's kind of like 10,000 tornadoes tied together. Hey, have you made some decisions in your life where you would have just been better off to stay where you were? You'd have just been better off to deal with what you knew and to understand it's temporary. Storms roll in and out of every life and storms roll in and out of every relationship and every marriage and changing addresses doesn't change that because everybody's got issues. And by the way, everybody looks better from a distance. In her book, Linda White writes, she's from the University of Chicago, in her book, The Case of Marriage, this is fascinating to me. She writes that 86% of people, 86% of people who were in an unhappy marriage, unhappy or extremely unhappy, who stuck it out Five years later said they are either happy or extremely happy. They're in the same marriage now, but they stuck it out because emotions come and go and seasons come and go. Her research revealed that the worst marriages who chose to work it out and stick it out and try to fight for the marriage had the most dramatic turnaround. And her conclusion was that permanent marital unhappiness is surprisingly rare among couples who stick it out. But see, you have an enemy and I have an enemy who brings that, that photographic thinking, brings up the worst moments and shows the worst images of the marriage and begins to paint a picture, creates a collage of the snapshots of all of the worst moments, none of the best moments, and then says, look at this. This is your future. No, your worst moments are not what give birth to your future. God is what gives birth to your future. People who grow in marriage... They make the choice, I will believe what God says over what I feel. The second decision we're going to make, never give up. Never give up. Have no quit in the marriage. We're not going to use the word divorce. We're not going to give up. We're going to have a strong work ethic because great marriages take work. Great relationships take work. And hey, a great life takes work. So you can pour as much energy into being unhappy and quitting as you can to being happy and sustaining and thriving. You get to decide which direction you're going to point your energy. Successful marriages, if you want to grow together, they never give up. The third decision we're going to make this week is to develop close friendships with people who have a high view and a high value of marriage. You show me your closest friends, I'll show you your future. Someone has said that, and it's true. Hey, if you're in a marriage and you're walking through a struggle right now, 
You don't need the counsel or advice of someone who hasn't figured out marriage yet, has experienced failures of relationships one after another. If you want the marriage to work, man, love people, be friends with a lot of people, but have some people close to you that have a high view of marriage and a high value in marriage and let those people speak into what you're walking through. Because remember, in five years, that storm won't be there anymore. And a vast majority of people that have walked through divorce would say, man, I'd give anything if we could go back and figure out how to make it work. The fourth decision we're going to make, if you want to grow together, the fourth decision, I'm going to turn my heart toward my spouse. In the moments when emotion's driving me, in the moments when, when anger's there or frustration, in the moments when we're dealing with something and we're just on different pages, I'm going to have the, the, the emotional and spiritual discipline to choose to turn my heart toward my spouse, not away from It means I'm going to be sexually faithful. It means I'm going to be continuing to fight for the marriage. It's not about winning arguments. It's not about convincing your spouse you're right. It's all about discovering God's will together. Submissive I will be, so stubborn has to flee. I've got to live in that place. When I decide to turn my heart away, I become open to other options. So don't do it. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to make decisions, important decisions together. It's not about I've got to make my decisions and you've got to make your decisions. It's about we're going to discover God's will together. And then the final decision we're going to make, if you want to grow old together and not just get there, but be thrilled that you got there, enjoy life, live in that place. Like people at one time said their marriage was unhappy, live in that place where, man, I'm so excited to be in this marriage and I'm excited about what God's done. Here's the sixth one. Pursue spiritual growth individually. Pursue spiritual growth individually. When I pursue Jesus and my bride is pursuing Jesus, we automatically grow closer together. I love Galatians chapter 5 because it shares with us the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit's in your life, living in your life, the evidence of it, what's going to happen in your life, what's going to be the result of that. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which can mean long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now think about that verse for a minute. Do you want to be married to somebody that has that? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, long-suffering, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you want to be married to somebody with those qualities? If you want to be married to somebody with these qualities, be somebody with these qualities. See, the fruit of the Spirit, this is God's personality. And the Holy Spirit gives it away for free to anyone who asks for it. So understand that your marriage, your marriage is going to experience many attacks. And you may be in a season of that right now. Understand that we have an enemy and he hates marriage because he knows the beauty it can create in life and what it can become. Attacks are never overcome with feelings. They're overcome with faith in the word of God. So this week, I will believe God's, what God says over what I feel. I'll never give up. I'm going to develop close friendships with people who have a high view and high value of marriage. One of the reasons community groups are so important, man, jump into a community group. Be around people that will love Jesus, love you, and can share their experience and their struggles as well. I'm going to turn my heart toward my spouse. We're going to make important decisions together. And we're going to pursue spiritual growth individually. And when we do that, God grows the marriage together. Would you pray with me today? Father, thank you so much for who you are. 
And I pray right now for those in the room that are in dating relationships or marriages, that this week you would help us to commit to these these six decisions, that because we make them today, we make them forever. These these six pillars that are going to build the future of our relationships and our marriage. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe, maybe you're joining us online today and as you're watching, you recognize, man, I, I don't know God in a personal way. I, I would love to have that fruit of the Spirit in my life, but to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you've got to have the Spirit in your life. And you might think, man, I, I want to invite Jesus into my life. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. If that's where you are, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. You don't have to pray it out loud. You can, but the Bible says in Matthew 6, Jesus knows even our thoughts. If you'd like to commit your life to Christ and ask the Spirit of God to come into your life, forgive your sin, and help you live this life, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive me of my sin and help me to live for you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Byron, he would love to know that this morning. Would you do us a favor? Would you text your first name to 407-487-8311? He gets a list of those names today, and he just loves to be able to pray for you by name. He also has some resources that he wants to send you to help you as you, as you continue your relationship with Jesus, as you continue this journey with Jesus. So text your first name to 407 407- Four eight seven eight three one one. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this message encouraged you and inspired you. Would you share it with someone that you're connected with? And also, if you want to be a part of supporting this incredible life-giving movement, you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. You can also go to our safe and secure giving website at givec3.cc. Listen, we love you guys. We're praying for you. We'll see you next week.